this is the Marketing for Learning podcast, the only podcast in the world that's guaranteed to increase your knowledge, skills, and capabilities when it comes to marketing for learning. Plus, there's a gratuitous amount of pineapples. You're welcome. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Marketing for Learning podcast. It's another juicy episode for you today because you're lucky enough that it's not just me chewing your ear off for the next 20 minutes or so. I am joined by Ashley Sinclair. Hi. Juicy. All right. Juicy. I'm excited. We like juicy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I said that, but hey, now, we need, now we need to live up to that expectation, Ash. No takey backies. No. <laughs> so today we want to talk to you about personas. Um, we have spoken about personas a lot on the podcast recently. But that's just generated more conversation. I don't know about you, Ash, but I feel like I don't stop talking about personas lately. And that's not a bad thing. I do think they are a critical part of marketing for learning. And you get your personas right and everything else becomes easier. You get them wrong and everything else will fall short. But a question that keeps being posed to me by clients and people that have read our ebook or listened to the podcast or watched the blog is, okay, but then what? What do they do afterwards? And many people seem to assume that with personas, we need to chunk up our uh, mailing lists and our email databases, and we need to put every individual in the organization into one box. And that's not really feasible, if anything, for L&D. So in this podcast, we just want to talk about how you practically use personas in a marketing for learning context after they've been created. Sounds good. I'm excited. <laughs> Let the juice say. commence. <laughs> so firstly, I think we should begin with why you still need personas, regardless of any tech blockers, maybe, or limitations. Why are personas so important for LNG professionals? Well, I think firstly, what you're alluding to is a lack of ability to segment using technology, right? Mm -hmm. um, so marketers generally have access to ESPs, email sending platforms like MailChimp or any other permutation of that, which allows you to use data points to segment audiences based on a variety of things. Oftentimes they're behavior based. Um, mm -hmm. So actually mapping to your personas via email would be challenging anyways. Um, so the things for me that personas are are really interesting for is all around the positioning piece so I've had also a lot of conversations about personas I'm doing a master class at the moment of the, a closed um, group for a customer and we had a deep conversation last week about personas and why we shouldn't be using their job title focused personas and the crux of it essentially is because you might develop learning for people based on their learning needs, what you've identified as their requirements through their job title. It's quite obvious to develop learning. For, you know, they do this role, so they need this training. That's fine. That makes sense. But how you sell that training to them is where personas come in. So how you position that to them, how you propose value, how you showcase benefits that's all done using the work that you've developed through marketing personas so you know I think whilst we've been calling them learner personas it's almost like maybe we need to start going back to you know marketing persona because yeah. the applications are different so it isn't a case of and I get why people are thinking oh well I'm creating personas which segment my audience but then I don't segment them on 
using my tech? Well, number one, you probably can't. Um, <laughs> but that's that's not really how we're able to use them in, in the context of learning and development, really, is it? Mm-hmm. It's certainly not how I've been able to use them with my clients. No, absolutely. I was talking to somebody on my masterclass and I was saying, okay, if you didn't have personas, what would you be doing? Well, I'd be sending out an email to everybody. Okay, great. And that email would resonate with who? It would resonate with nobody because you aren't targeting it and you aren't thinking about the wants, the needs, the fears, the pain points and all of that good stuff about the person reading it. If you are writing a piece of communications with a persona in mind, it's going to resonate with that persona when they read it. The other people that it may not resonate with, they're just going to do what they're doing anyway. And that, I hate to say it, is probably just deleting your email without even looking at it. So we're getting further quicker by making sure that your communication and the effort you're putting out there is at least resonating with somebody with a segment of your target audience. And I know, and I've had a lot of people grumbling to me about this recently, you all know you're only allowed four or five personas. So if you're targeting a piece of communication to one of your personas and it's one of five, then 20% of the people that read that email or see that poster or read the article are more likely to resonate with it. That's going to get you closer towards your objectives and your targets a lot quicker than nobody really engaging with it or just hoping for the best. And I think that's the mindset shift. We need to realize that using personas and targeting is going to help us get further quicker. Yeah, it it allows us to create the illusion of more individual conversations on a enterprise scale. So an example that I, I thought about of how to kind of unravel this a little bit more Let's let's think of um, products that will put billboards up or you know, some more universal consumer products, fast moving consumer goods, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like Old Spice. We did a whole conversation about Old Spice and yeah. their campaigns, right? They, they've done a lot of work on identifying their target audience. Anyone who listened to that campaign episode, as you'll remember, we said that actually the, their, their target audience was females between a certain age bracket because their market research showed that women are still the primary buyers of male products for their partners, children, whatever. So when they go and put a billboard up, men are going to see it. Women are going to see it. Children are going to see it. Nanas are going to see it. (laughs) People who don't speak English are going to see it. Yes. But the positioning of the billboard the imagery within the billboard, maybe even the typography of the font, Mm -hmm. the colors that they use, and the messaging on the billboard is all positioned to target directly to their target audience. So whilst other people will see it, we can't control that. We have positioned our advertising, our messaging, our emails, our Mm -hmm. posters, to just talk to specific audience subsets. When you're trying to market at scale in the way that we do in L&D, i.e. very little ability to segment using tech, we can only segment through our content. We can only segment through the billboard approach, which is actually we have to position our content in a way that speaks to that audience specifically on the acceptance that other audiences are going to see it, and it's probably not going to affect their perceptions of our brand positively or negatively. Absolutely. And I actually had somebody on um, the masterclass make a really interesting comment that even if, so say 
the billboard advert that perhaps isn't targeted at that person specifically, they're still seeing your brand. They're still going to, okay, that's that brand. Okay, I'm that's not for me. I'm not interested in that. I'm going to ignore it, but I'm still kind of thinking about the brand. It's still keeping you present, keeping your awareness kind of there. And that's never a bad thing. Yeah. In fact, you know what? I spoke to... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even told you the sad. I had um, <laughs> I had a prospect call with a, a a client the other day, and I'd done a bit. Of, I'd done like a workshop with them back early on in the year, and I'd mentioned the rule of seven to them: how we need to keep front of mind. Someone needs to see something seven times at least in order yes. for them to even recognize a brand. Never mind taking action. And they said to me on the call, I tried out your rule of seven. So I drafted seven emails and I sent them towards a specific initiative over, I think they said like eight weeks or something Mm -hmm. like that. And it worked. (gasps) I was like, come on my podcast and tell. I know. So yeah, he said he got incredible traction with it. And I mean, even his team member was like, I didn't know this. What are we doing? Let's try more of that. Yeah. So, you know, tiny things, but again, this is the testing and the tinkering that we've said before, but yeah, brand visibility is not going to do a detriment to your brand for people to see your brand just because the messaging isn't positioned to them, if that makes yeah. sense. You know, yeah, it's still exactly. going to keep you front of mind. And actually using your billboard example, probably taking it one step further, when I went to Paris recently, um, I admitted this yesterday and now I can't believe I'm admitting it on the podcast. I am a person that takes pictures of adverts if I think they're good or impactful or they make me laugh. Nerd. Absolute nerd. Um, I have <laughs> too many of them on my sign. Um, but I saw an advert and it was really bright coloured. It was like a lime green in the background and a bright pink balloon and someone hiding behind the balloon. It was all in French and I cannot speak or read French. And I was like, that's really interesting. I wonder what that is. And then I could see the word Google because that was still in English. And I took a picture of it. And when I translated it, it was actually for something like DuckDuckGo. So one of those um, browsers that doesn't track you, doesn't use cookies, blocks it all out and things like that. And then when I dug in a bit more and translated a few more of their adverts with my marketing hat on, I actually think I was their perfect ideal audience. So despite not being able to actually read the advert, their positioning, like you were just saying, absolutely grabbed my attention I knew okay what's that I, I'm, I need to be intrigued about this it was an awareness stage campaign and it, it hooked me it got me even though I couldn't read it so when we overcomplicate the process of oh but what if this person doesn't quite like a more informal language or doesn't like this I I think we we overcomplicate it a bit too much in L&D as long as you're not going to one side of the extreme or the other, which you're not going to because no. you're in a corporate landscape, I, I sincerely doubt you're going to offend people, which is, I think, the major concern. Yeah. Here. You know, I, I think the and, and you know, this is this is why we cannot just use job titles, because, you know, there's not enough information there to allow us to even understand how to position ourselves or what we should use with our imagery or how our copy should sound and what we should say within it. If we just know, oh, okay, well, they're, you know, they're a financial controller and therefore they do this job and they need this learning sound. Once they get to your learning experiences and to your LXP, if they've got curated learning programs that are completely aligned to them and personalized to them, you don't have this problem. Your problem is getting them there. So their job title is completely redundant. And if you're only thinking based on job titles, what about 
skills that are completely role agnostic. Sure. Don't you need people in all units of your organization being better leaders, having better interpersonal interpersonal communication skills? Those kind of things. Don't don't we all need that? What's mm-hmm. that got to do with a job role? Are you going to give a different piece of learning to the finance manager over the marketing manager? Of course, there is going to be role-specific training. Absolutely. Or department or function-specific training. But that doesn't tell you anything about their motivations, their intrinsic goals, wants, needs, anything like that. And it's that stuff that's actually going to get butts moving and people learning. Yeah, I mean, I got to I got to say I don't personally see that as a thought process that exists within the employee base based on the conversations I've had with multiple different corporate corporations and employees within it. I don't feel based on what I've heard that most employees are sat saying, well, I do X job, so I need X training. This is a learning thing. This Mm -hmm. is L&D have suddenly decided that they need to be prescriptive about what someone requires from a skills and a training perspective with regard to the role that they do. But I don't think that the identity of that sits within the person. You know, the, the things that I hear repeatedly are, I wanna know how, to get my next job. I want to know what the organization expects of me. If I want to become a people leader, what does that pathway look like? What what what, what do what steps do I need to take? What skills do I need to acquire to do that? To my mind, I'm already doing that job. I'm already proficient in that job. I don't need to do skills that pertain to my job because I'm doing my job every day. I'm learning on the job every mm-hmm. day. So when we talk about positioning pieces, the whole dialogue and discourse around role-specific training to get someone to engage with learning, in my opinion, does not cut the mustard because it has no ability to relate to what they actually want and need or expect from a learning perspective in a corporate landscape. So it just is literally like throwing comms into the ether because they don't care it doesn't connect yeah and I was just thinking then when you were talking it kind of goes back to that whole push versus pull learning and it's something that I know some people roll their eyes at it was a bit of a buzz phrase probably four or five years ago but it's now self-driven learning um and learning cultures oh I'm so sorry (laughs) but (laughs) but it's almost saying you want to market your learning to make it more self-driven make people want to go and do it but we've got to tell them what to do when they get there. So we're going to market it by job role, telling them what they need to go and do. It, it, it just conflicts too much. That's not the same narrative. We need to yeah. be thinking about who individuals are as humans, giving them the, autom- the autonomy to actually say, I want to go and learn. I want to do it. And whether that's because they want their next job, maybe it's because they want to become more proficient in a specific area. There is almost, okay, there are going to be some skills that you need your business to develop. But the intrinsic goals behind it need to be audience driven as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, some people listening to this will probably think I gave a good example. Like, you know, you don't need to target by job title at all if you have really, really nice learning experiences Mm -hmm. set up and programs and and structured learning um, stuff that's specific to someone's role um, because there's a lot of other stuff they can peruse within that. A lot of my clients don't have that. They don't have that structure. 
they have a lot of um, course libraries that they've subscribed to. They'll often have things like LinkedIn Learning as well. And then they'll sometimes have an LXP that's separate to that. Um, and so there's no curated experience. So it is essentially what are your goals? We want people to learn more. Okay, so what do we do to get there? And I think in these examples, and I'm unpicking this with another client at the moment, and I think what you said perfectly applies. You have, you still can't target on role specific stuff because you don't have the ability to segment. So unless mm-hmm. you're going to manually go and build a list for all your financial controllers, and then you're going to map specific learning points that you want to send just to that small group of people, then you can you can go and do that. And actually, that's a nice little approach, quite personalized experience for people. It's very scalable. And I don't mm-hmm. think anyone in L&D has the resource to really execute Not. on something at that scale. So you have to go back. It's like with personas. What are the, you know, what are the unifying experiences for the majority of the employee base. What are, I don't know, the core skills that the business has identified as future skills? What is it that most people need to know if they work here? Let's focus on those core skills and let's use them as a template for our message and our and our backbone rather than they need to go and do X, Y, and Z and using our learning strategy and making that become our marketing strategy. And I think that's the two things for me and how that separation needs to exist. The personas that you build to develop your learning strategy, i.e. identify what learning people need to do, what format that learning is going to take, and how it's going to be executed and delivered to those audiences should be completely separate, i.e. well, that's the product, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That's product marketing. If you want to do product marketing, different thing. It should be separate to, okay, we have a product now. How do we actually take that to market? How do we, who are our target audience? Our target audience aren't financial controllers and talent management and people teams. They're Bob who really is struggling to get to grips. He's been onboarded and he still doesn't really know how to do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, his manager's not very supportive and actually, you know, he's really passionate to work here, but he's starting to feel a bit lost and in the weeds. Um, You know, really different message straight away. Um, Absolutely. You know, it, it, it reduces the anonymity that exists in a large organization because like I said, you can create the illusion of more one-to-one conversations without having to have one-to-one conversations. I think touching on that. So when we go through personas with clients and we say things like Bob, who is new and is feeling a bit overwhelmed, blah, blah. Taking the example of say, I don't know, Fred, who's a dad, who's really time poor because he's got to do the school run every day and he's trying to cram all of his hours in and just feeling a bit stressed and overwhelmed. People are like, well, what if somebody fits perfectly into that persona but isn't a dad? Okay, that's cool. You're not going to put out marketing that says, hey, I know you're a parent and you're time poor. It's how you use that information to evoke a particular emotion or tap into an emotion to get people more engaged and that's the important point so it's how we actually use that information and if you look at your personas and you're saying hey you're you're a loyal Lydia get involved with this training course you're using your personas incorrectly and please talk to us (laughs) Um, but you're not calling out those things that add character to your personas you're thinking about how you can trigger emotions in these people to instigate an action to get them involved with the thing you want them to do which for pretty much everyone listening here it will be to make them learn so how can we use all of that good stuff to do that 
Mm. Yeah, and I, you know, I think that that's precisely it. All the the demographic stuff, it adds color, it adds flavor, but it shouldn't be influencing your messaging. It's, you know, we want these personas to feel like real people, and that means that if we just have a two dimensional character, they're gonna feel two dimensional. So we have to put some meat on the bones in the form of demographic data, maybe even job title, location, Mm -hmm. age, gender, whatever, just to bring them to life. And those aren't the points we should be segmenting on. They're not the points we should be fixating on. You know, Um, someone asked me the other day, like, should we should we be looking at age when we're segmenting? And I said, well, you should be trying to, when you're doing discovery, you should be trying to get a good cross-section of ages there. But I sincerely doubt that you're going to see after doing all of your discovery that a younger audience is wanting X, Y, and Z. I think there will be other pain points and problems and challenges that will emerge that are super, that supersede a a generational demographic, you know? So, you know, I think that's, that's the thing is, um, when you're doing your persona work, not being led by the idea of what your persona should be is actually going and doing your discovery, opening yourself up to the idea that what you think about your audience may be entirely incorrect and asking lots and lots and lots of open questions to allow you to actually get a clear idea of the culture, the mindset and the attitudes of the people that you're trying to sell your learning to. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Beautiful. We'll see. Look, we've solved the persona problem, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take over the world next. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't want people to feel like it's a broken record talking about personas, but I think, I think we've both had quite a lot of conversations in the past week where it is clear to me that people are, are really grappling with this and struggling to understand how it relates to their learning yeah. and their learning offering and why they're why they're necessary if they already have learner personas but if your learner personas are built around job titles and learning requirements then you must go and do the work to understand these people's mentalities their psychological attitudes their behaviors their issues at work because if you don't do that you're never ever ever going to get the positioning right you're never going to write content that has resonance you're never going to create anything that's going to connect with your audiences because you're trying to talk to them on a basic level i.e we have a thing that we we've identified you need but they don't connect with that story you know there's nothing there for the audience to latch on to you know again it's a it's a business mandate really it's an agenda that's been created by a function who's built something that they want people to use cool but if you want them to use it you've got to change the way you sell it to them absolutely I also think there's a really big point there about storytelling and how we can actually use marketing tactics and methods to utilize our personas and get people engaged but I think that's a whole nother podcast don't you Mm. yeah yeah for sure and I think (laughs) you know I did a post on LinkedIn yesterday around psychology and you know that this probably do another episode on that alone anyways but you know, having a curiosity about human beings, how we function, what we think, what we do, why we do what we do, and how much that sits on a subconscious level versus a self-awareness level. You know, having some curiosity around that side of things, I think will expand this kind of harder structured mindset that a lot of l and have around learning development, learning delivery. It's 
great, that's product, 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 product. But the other side is how do we take that product to market? Yeah. We have to understand people. We have to understand yeah, people. what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that was in your LinkedIn post yeah. after your events last week. That was just because you were being social and drinking. No, no, the people point on that was much more. And it was off the back of the Tuesday, so where it was like a networking dinner. And everything we spoke about, we spoke about everything from like AI to LXP, so all these different things. And every time, and it wasn't me saying it every time, it all came back, yeah, but what do the people need? It's so refreshing to be in a room of learning professionals that are championing the people. And that's exactly what you were just saying there, Rash. All comes back to the people, 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 people. Mm-hmm. Walk as long and as far as you can in their shoes. Absolutely. I, you know, I really believe that. And so, you know, I think there's, there's, it's it, once you see the penny drop of people or once you see like them finally kind of get their head around like oh like I've been looking at this through that learning lens and when I take that off actually I realize that it's very helpful for some aspects of what I'm doing but it from a marketing perspective it just isn't um yeah. and so yeah hey look we probably distilled it back down to answer the what's in it for me <laughs> but that was the first time we said that if you're playing the what's in it for me bingo <laughs> That is actually the first time we've said it this podcast. Oh my God, we need we need a marketing for learning bingo card, don't we? (laughs) Coming soon. (laughs) We've already made one. I feel like that's a great idea. Um, (laughs) Just touching on your point about psychology, though, there's an Instagram account that I recently started following called Choice Hacking, Mm -hmm. and it's all about the psychology of marketing, and it's so interesting. And I think it's woman that runs it. She just distills it down so well. So if anyone's intrigued about that psychology side of communications recommend you go give that a follow because i find it super interesting oh well i'll go give it a follow myself a little treat for you there thank you well snackety snack see we told you it'd be juicy (laughs) (laughs) well i think we've spoken enough about personas and how we use them as we always say at the end of the podcast if you do have any questions queries comments anything you want to tell us any episode ideas anything like that please do get in touch we love hearing from you um and it's really nice as much as we're having these conversations still about personas it's because we've been talking about it it's because you've listened to the podcast or read our ebook and you guys are trying it and there's nothing we love more than hearing people actually thinking about marketing for learning in their day jobs it means a lot to us um we're on our little two-woman mission here to get more people thinking about marketing for learning and it seems to be working um Mm. so If you have any questions, get in touch. But if not, we will see you on the next podcast, guys. Bye. Bye, Tatty. Bye. See you later.